Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the table, like Christian said. Um, my name is Maggie Keller. I do communications here at the table. So great to see your faces. Kiddos, before I let you go to your classes tonight, I want to tell you a special message. I want to say thank you to you because we have not been able to gather together for a few weeks. We did it because we want to keep other people safe and because you helped us do that because you worship from home and, and we stayed home for these few weeks. We have been able to do that. So thank you. Thanks for being a part of being the solution. And so now you get to be with your friends and your teachers tonight. They are waiting for you in the back of the sanctuary. They're waving their arms. Preschoolers and elementary age kiddos. There you go. Have fun. We'll see you after the service in just a little bit. Hey, Ronnie. Come on through, dude. And to the rest of us, I, I want to echo that same sentiment. Thank you. We have had just one heck of a season recently. Uh, it's been um, a, a time for flexibility. And you have just shown us over and over your ability to, to flex, to be just adaptable, and we appreciate that so much. Um, so we're glad to be back together. Thanks for wearing your masks. We're going to continue to do that. And we're taking a page um, from our host church, Bethlehem Lutheran, and they are requiring masks. Um, wherever possible, we like to link arms with Bethlehem Lutheran. We love to um, know what they're doing and pair with them when we can. So there's an opportunity coming up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, they've got an Ash Wednesday service, and it's for all ages, families included. It's at 545 on Wednesday, March 2nd, and that'll be a collaboration. More news on what that collaboration will look like in the coming weeks, but we would invite you to join us as we join with them and uh, celebrate Ash Wednesday, which is the start of Lent, if you can believe it. It's already the 40 days leading up to Easter, so we would love for you to join us um, for that service of reflection, for again, for all ages. Um, another one of the ways that we try to partner with Bethlehem is staying flexible. When we started this collaboration, we knew there were going to be a few Sundays a year where they have a music series in this space in the evenings on Sundays. So one of those Sundays is coming up. It's on March 6th, which is the Sunday after Ash Wednesday. So we will still be gathering, but it'll be an hour later, 6 p.m., and we're going to be in the room right underneath here. So when you come in the front doors, we'll have our greeters to be able to show you where to go. So mark your calendars, March 6th, one hour later at 6 p.m. And again, we do that to stay flexible, to um, continue to steward this beautiful building well and to kind of honor that partnership. So thank you for being flexible with us. Um, I will be texting you as a reminder when we get closer to that date. If you haven't signed up for texts, it is the best way to stay up to date on all of the changes that we go through together as a community. So you can text the word TABLE to 33222 and you will stay in the know. Um, want to also um, just thank you for your generosity, for your generosity of spirit towards us, but also financially. We appreciate your partnership. Um, there are lots of ways that you can donate. Um, you can go to our website, thetablempls.com, and hit the, the giving tab, and you can give online that way, or um, we've got a box right up here where you can drop your cash money into. Um, so, but on behalf of our entire team, we just want to say thank you for being in our corner. And that entire team includes Debbie Manning, who was on a much deserved, much hoped for, much longed for vacation in Hawaii. We're so glad to be able to um, encourage our pastors to take rest and respite when they need that. So we are glad to have Matt bring in the word tonight. I thought you were about to surprise me with the trip to Hawaii. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, that's not my place, Matt. That's not your place, but I mean, it's the board. Is there any board members here that want to surprise 
near the trip to Hawaii. Hey, good to see you guys. Oh my gosh, it's good to see you guys. I personally have, um, I have said it before, I'm not a huge, this is going to sound dumb coming from somebody who does this for a job, but not a huge church guy per se. Um, <laughs> but I've missed being in person with you all. Like I do not know that I have the stomach to, to sit in front of a camera in my dinky old office and talk to nobody in hopes that somebody was on the other side. I couldn't do it much longer. So thank you for being here. Thank you for, uh, to, to Maggie's point, at the risk of being redundant, staying adaptable, uh, staying on your toes, um, and moving forward through this mess with us. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm one of the leaders here in the community. And this is the portion of our worship service where we try to take our stories and root them inside of a sacred text in hopes of finding something that is nutritional, empowering, equipping. I want to say something to you first, though, and I might say this from uh, now on. I had this moment with our Wolves guys before All-Star break where I say this to them every, at the start of every chapel. And after the chapel, one of the guys said, do you say that to the people at the table as well? I said, no, I don't. He said, yes, you should. And so let me just say this. Regardless of, of whether or not you get anything out of the content I'm going to set out to provide for you right now, the number one thing that I want you to know is that who you are is more important than what you do even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. That is the number one. I want you to leave this space tonight a little bit more aware that your essence is more important than any kind of external report. It's more important than where you've made it to, what they've made up about you, whatever the outside noise is. Who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. Remember that about yourself. And I want to speak on that tonight, but I want us to remember that about other people as well. The text we're going to look at tonight is from Luke 6. It is, uh, um, oh gosh, it's the words of Jesus. It's one of those words that I think is, is maybe collectively we wish he would have just saved to like his notes file or kept in his pocket and not said out loud because these are the most challenging words that the church has to be faithful to. That's what we've been called to do. So Luke 6 reads like this. If you love those who love Even sinners love those who love them. It's not, that's not like some lofty feat. You're not like making, you're not putting together a highlight reel by being kind to those who are kind to you. That's standard practice. That's a natural reaction. You like people who like you. That's, that's how it works. Everybody is doing that. And if you do good, good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Everybody's doing that. And then if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners led to sin lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Now brace yourselves. Love your enemies. Love those who cannot guarantee that they will reciprocate the love that you give to them. Love those that it's kind of risky to do so. Love those that you want to do a lot of things too, but maybe not love. Love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Ooh, that's challenging, isn't it? Because I feel like even in those rare moments where I am to kind of muster up some level of uh, benevolence towards those who are cruel to me, uh, I, I'm kind of hoping that there will be return on my investment, you know, that this will soften their stance, that they will, uh, this will break them down further. And maybe that's just part of how it works as well. But... Jesus is saying, love somebody without an exploitative angle. 
Love somebody because love is the way. Love somebody because love is the point. Might not work out, might not be the most profitable of enterprises. Love anyways. Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. I don't know if you guys read that article that recently came out about、uh, that story within the Catholic Church about the priests who have been saying the words all wrong, and now thousands of marriages and baptisms have been you know, called void. No longer, like, actually, they didn't, they didn't work. <laughs> There's a lot of things about religion that are just dumb and that can make a huge mess and makes you cringe whenever you think about it. These words here, that's not that. Like, I, I come to these words every time and I'm like, this, you know, as much as everything in me wants to run away from all religious tradition and, and that kind of hot mess that is always attached to it, when you think about thousands of years ago in a tribal, Context where might equals right. You think about a young man from the sticks rising up and insisting that we are going to love everybody, even those bodies, even the unlovable bodies. Not just like the misfits and the outcasts, that we can love those, and that's a little more easier to reach out and love, but those who are punks, those who are oppressive, those who take things from you. Those who spit your name out of their mouths, who speak about you with a tone that is neither dignifying、uh, nor lovely. This young man, in a time like that, in a culture like that, rose up and said, Yeah, I love them too. And so, how do you do that? How are, how are we doing that? Lauren and I, we watched this film recently. It was.、Um, It was one of those films that I don't know if you guys have any movies that come to mind when you think about movies that just kind of undo you, right?、That、you just find yourself unraveling. Like Free Willy. Did anybody else have that experience with Free Willy? Yeah, me too. When he does that thing and the whale jumps over, yeah, changed my life. There was this film, though, and we don't typically dabble in the Norwegian film scene, but we came across this documentary that was pointed out to us by one of our friends called The Painter and the Thief. Has anybody else seen this film? It's a story about this Czech artist named, I'm going to butcher her name, but Barbara Kilsakova. And she is this amazing painter. She creates these beautiful portraits and kind of abstract scenes, but also like these different. She's just incredible. Look up her work immediately after the service. She had these two pieces in particular that she was, that were just,、um, they were her prized pieces, the most celebrated of all the work that she had done, kind of the crowning achievements of her career. And she put them up for sale, first though, to be seen at this gallery in Oslo. Days before the, the opening of the gallery, where the people were going to come in and take it all in, two men broke in and stole her two prized pieces of work. Especially this one right here. I think this one's called the Swan Song. Her heart was broken. I mean, she had given everything to making these pieces. This was, she had tied so much of her life towards the creation of these pieces, and then just like that, two guys broke in. And they stole the pieces. Now, these guys, eventually, they were caught. And when the trial came up and the court case was open, she went to go to、uh, see the men who took her pieces, and only one of the guys actually showed up. I don't remember if they gave reason why the other one did, but the guy who did was a guy named Carl Bertel. And this guy was, he was a problem. 
First of all, she wanted to know, she wanted to go and find out, like, do you know where I can find my paintings? What did you do with it? Whose hands did you put it in? And he was so drunk and intoxicated that he has no recollection of who the buyer actually was or if he just dropped it off somewhere that night. He was a heroin addict. He has a thick history of crime. And when you watch him in the courtroom and you get the witness accounts, it's like he has no emotion in his body. He, he's just kind of there, but he's not really there. And she goes there to see this man, but he is indifferent to her. He will not lock eyes with her. Now, maybe there's good reasons. Maybe he's embarrassed, ashamed. There's a lot of different reasons why he doesn't want to see the woman that he took the most prized possessions from. But she said that she went in there and she was hardened. She was angry. She wanted revenge. She wanted to say some things to this man. But then she saw this man and she felt herself soften. She watched him sitting in that chair and she felt that, that vengeance kind of leaking out of him. And she actually says these words. She says, what struck me so hard was seeing this human being sitting there in remorse and sadness and total vulnerability. And what I saw was a human being, not the criminal. What she saw in Carl Bertil was a human being. And one of the questions I think that drives the documentary is, is will Carl see that in himself? Will he be able to see his own humanity amidst all of the mess that he has made? And so then this lady, this artist, Barbara Kisakova, she decides she's going to do something crazy. With all of that energy for a reprimand behind her, she faces this guy, and she doesn't ask for more punishment. She says, can I paint your portrait? Can I, do you mind if we get together and we meet a few times and we, we get to know each other and then I paint your portrait? That's what the documentary is about. You have this heroin addict who sits down with her time and time again, and they tell each other stories. They tell each other about their childhood. They listen to one another. He gets to tell his story. He gets to hear himself tell his story. And then one day, after all these conversations, she, she shows him the portrait. I want you to see his reaction. Patty, can you play that clip? So uh, I hope you don't get lost on the way and see you here in 20 minutes. Hi. Hi. Don't back off on this. Yeah, yeah. It's just started. Of course, a lot of work still. Whoa. Uh, it started. What the f you didn't have me. I... You did this from... No. Whoa. Don't do that to me. <laughs> 
I truly do not mean to make you cry, but still. I don't know if I should take this as a compliment. See, I could have just um, told you about what happened, but I really wanted you to see what it looks like to open up space for somebody to be seen, to see their reaction to what it's like for them to stand in front of somebody and not be just another problem or another burden, but actually a human being worthy of love, reminded of their own imago dei, that they bear the image of God within them still. Powerful stuff. This is a photo of Carl Bertel and Barbara from this past year. After a year and a half of moving towards sobriety, he is now studying to be a nurse where he can help other people. And for all of us who are in recovery, who know the hard and, and at times brutalizing yet beautiful work of trying to find your feet again, you know that there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that are behind the glow on that face. You know that there's a lot of stories within his story. And yet, if you were to ask him, in fact, many people have asked him, like, what is it that you would cite as the starting point to your own recovery, redemptive journey? He would say, somebody loved me, and they really shouldn't have loved me. Somebody chose to see me when really they wanted to, they should have just gotten rid of me. Are you making space for the people in your lives, those people in your lives, to fully be seen? Because for Carl Berto, when he was able to see how she saw him, everything started to change. And I guess I'm just convinced that this is how it works, that, that none of us, and I'm using that term sincerely, none of us are eternally corrupt. I think at, at times we're just temporarily confused. Nobody is, is inherently evil. We're all walking around with wounds that we picked up, perhaps from times that we do not know. Undiagnosed, untreated, we would limp our ways through lives and we are hurt people hurting other people. But we're not eternally corrupt, we're temporarily confused. And when Jesus says to love your enemies, what Jesus is saying is that if you do not love your enemies, you're going to fall for the lie that all they are is enemies, that all they are is broken. I think it's fascinating that we have documents that now show that the number one document that circulated the early church, the number one text that they went back to time and time again were these words from Jesus, love your enemies. And I get it because it's not natural for us. 
It is natural for us, us to hate our enemies. It is natural for us, if you kick me, I want to kick you. You say something about me, I want to say something about you. It, that's, that's our, it's not like innovative to do that, that's instinctive. That's what we do. That, that's just part of what it looks like. To, and honestly, cards on the table, it kind of feels good. Don't look at me like I'm crazy though, because you know what it's like to be tripped up by somebody, then be sitting at your homes and think about 25 different ways that you could trip them back up and then start smiling when you think about reason 26. Like that is in us. Jesus is saying that I want you to be better than that lazy response. In fact, I want you to be a people who love all the way. I was talking to my eight-year-old about this. Not this movie in particular, but this idea of loving our enemies. We're talking about on Dr. King's day. And um, he shouldn't have asked me this question, but he goes, so Jesus says to love your enemies. Question that. Why did God drown all of his enemies and save just Noah? Is, is that what loving your enemies looks like? I said, I said, you better go ask your mom that question right now. Now, I didn't get into the ancient nearest accounts and like all the different parallels in the proper context to understand why stories like that have been preserved and passed on from generation to generation, but I did remind him that what Jesus said when he said, when you see the, me, you've seen the Father. And if you look at the life of Jesus again and again, sometimes it's explicitly stated like it is here in Luke 6, but it is consistently demonstrated throughout his totality of his life what it looks like to actually love your enemies. He said, if you want to know what it looks like, then next time you see somebody up in a tree because they are ashamed for how they're being seen, by how they're being portrayed, you tell them to come on down and that you will have dinner at their house. Next time you see somebody that has lost their mind and they're out on the beach by themselves, cutting themselves with stones, and everybody in town is laughing at them and pointing fingers at them and calling them all sorts of names, you walk up to them and say, what is your real name? Not the noise that they all put around you. Next time somebody tries to kill you, next time they put something through your body and they're laughing as the life leaks out, do not be a mirror to their hate, be a window to God's love and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. They are not eternally corrupt, they are temporarily confused. And I will continue to see them in the way that they actually are until they catch up and see them that way themselves. I will make space for them to come back to themselves because they, they're not eternally corrupt. They're temporarily confused. Love is that thing that wakes us up, to sober us up, to actually see us for who we are. This is why I love that Anthony DeMello, he says, Patty, give that quote. They, they say that love is blind. There's actually a Netflix show on that. They say that love is blind. There is nothing so clear-sighted as love. But sometimes it can be beneficial to just be blind. To make people as small as the labels we put on them. To keep people inside of the box that is convenient for us. To turn people not into people, but into props that justify the way that we think and that we believe in our minds to be true. There's a story about a blind man who comes up to Jesus. It's in Mark 8. And his friends bring him to Jesus because Jesus has a history. In fact, you know, I don't have a chart on hand to prove that this is true, but I promise you that it is. That the number one... Uh, miracle, miraculous form of healing that Jesus offers people often has to do with the eyes. It's an ocular fix. Jesus intervenes in their lives and he creates sight where there was previously blindness. Matter of fact, in John, don't open your Bibles and check this, but John 9, I believe, Jesus says that that's the reason why I'm here. I've come to give sight to the blind 
and blindness to those who can see. Think about that. To all the people who think that they are seeing truth in their minds, who think that they know what it is that they're looking at, all of those people, I'm going to invite them to face reality to the point where they realize they're blind. That they don't have everyone as figured out as they want to believe. Back to Mark 8, there's a blind man comes up to Jesus. They say, Jesus, can you fix his eyes? We've got a reputation of fixing eyes. And so Jesus turns around and he gets theatrical with it. He spits in the mud. He picks up this dollop of muddy, I don't know, a pile of mud. And he smears it on the guy's eyes. And then he asks for like this Yelp review of sorts. He wants a progress report. He says, so how's, how's it going? And the guy says, you know, I, I think I'm seeing people, but they look like trees that are walking. That can't be what you want me to be looking at, correct? Like, we're, we're out to look at people. Now, you could ask the question, how does he know what trees or people look like if he's been blind since birth? But he goes, I think I see people, but they look like trees that are walking. A lot of times, we don't have that kind of honesty. That guy that, that is voting for that person, that person that showed up at that rally, the way my coworker disrespected me and my family, I know who they are. I know what they're about. I know some people think they're people, but they are trees walking. Jesus says, should I touch it again? The guy says, go ahead. Then the text tells us that once upon that second touch, the guy opens his eyes and can finally see. I think that this maybe is the heart of what I'm trying to get at right now, is that there is that first encounter with Jesus where we brush up against love and we say, love, can you help us see? And we get some mud in our eyes. So we are drawing close to other people, but we've got mud in our eyes. And so we're short-sighted and have a small mind as to what it is that is standing before us. And we say, uh, is that people or is that tree? Is not really sure. And then we don't always have the courage to say, can you show me more? Can, can I come closer to you? That's what the definition of neighbor is. Neighbor is just somebody that is proximate. It's, pro it's, a, it's a term of proximity. You got close enough. That's the only difference between the terms enemy and neighbor. The difference is just that one of the people you chose to get close to, the other one you have yet to do so. That first contact with love itself, it gets you mud in the eyes because you are up close and personal with humanity, and humanity can be a hot mess at times. But then if you have the courage to believe that there is a prequel to the person standing before you, that there is a backstory behind them that you were not privy to, that there is more to their story than this moment that you are in, and you say, love, can you help me see once again? God is a God of the double down. God will come back and work with you, in you, to help you see people as they actually are. And that's the kind of news that will save the world. Uh, that sounds dramatic, but it will save the world. If we can have the humility to recognize that most of the time we see through mud-caked eyes and not through perfect clarity, that we don't have everyone figured out the way that we conveniently led ourselves to believe, if we can move to that second place of sight, not the first reaction when we walk into the courtroom and we see the person who stole our prized piece of art, but the second one that softened and said, can I make space to see you so that you also can come into this space and see yourself? That's what we want for our, our, ourselves. Why would we want, not want that for our enemies? Will you pray with me? Jesus, I think I've said everything I wanted to say tonight, God, but whatever I left, I pray, God, you would...
continue to cultivate and that you would work on learning. I think this is really hard. I mean, it's easy to talk about God, but it's really hard to practice. And yet, they will know we are Christians by our love. Not just to those who love us back, but to those who won't. Lord, give us a courageous kind of love. Give us the insistence and the conviction that we believe that people are not evil. That they are children, brothers, sisters, cousins of ours. In Christ's name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. You know, I couldn't help but think that <clears throat> communion is also a space where we, um, where Jesus, a space that Jesus created for people to be seen. Because, good pastor Matthew, correct me if I'm wrong, Judas was there too. And so when, when Jesus celebrated the Eucharist for the first time, it was in the presence of the one who would betray him. And so I don't think we have to look very far to find an example of what it means to make space for others to be seen. The same man who betrayed Jesus was served the same meal that you are about to receive right now. And if that's not, you know, an open table, I don't know what is. And so that's what this space is about. This is a space for you to be seen by a God who loves you no matter what you have done, no matter what you will do. So I invite you to take out your elements. As we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered in a room with his friends and his enemies. And he took the bread and he broke it after giving thanks. And he said uh, to his friends, this is my body and it's broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Feel free to take that now. And then he took a cup and he poured wine into it. And he told his friends and his enemies, this is my blood. And it's been shed for you. Whenever you drink this, remember me. Feel free to take your wine now. So friends, as Jesus did for us, I hope that we can do for one another, creating a space to remember who we are, who you are, and how loved you are, because it's who you are and not what you've done. Will you stand with me? Together we're going to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I was uh, at this gathering a couple weeks back after Amir Locke was killed, and different movement leaders were sitting in the room. And after talking about just the days to come in light of everything that's already came, one of the leaders said, it goes without saying, but we must say it again, that it's important for us to move forward with conviction, but not at the cost of also carrying compassion, lest we end up going for revenge and not redemption. And that has been ringing in my head ever since she said it. 
That is the road for followers of Christ. That is the way that we walk, is that we are not aiming at revenge of our enemies, but redemption for all of us. Amen? Amen. Go in peace. We'll see you next Sunday, you guys. We're back, huh? Awesome. Love you guys. Oh, we got the benediction. Wow, it's been a minute. Okay. I was, I felt, I felt weird there. Will you do me a favor? Hold out your hands, close your eyes, and receive, receive these words from the heart of God. Friends, no matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed, know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you are a beloved child of God. And beloved, you belong. Now you can go in peace. See you next Sunday.